This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is Roman Alonzo of LA design firm Commune. Roman got his start in the world of fashion, working for Barney's and Isaac Mizrahi. Seeking a change of pace, he and three friends started a truly unique company, one that did a little bit of everything interiors, products, branding, graphic design, and more. Today, Commune is known as one of the country's most influential interior design firms. But Roman has kept the company true to its multidisciplinary roots, and he still likes to take on projects that stretch the definition of what design can do. Roman and I talked about how he carried on after a split with his original partners, why he craves more input from clients, not less, and how Commune creates feelings, not looks. Today's podcast is sponsored by Cherish, the interior design industry's source for one-of-a-kind antique and contemporary furnishings, art, and decor. With over half a million items and a thousand new arrivals daily, most with no lead times, Cherish is a must-visit for designers. Go to Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com. This podcast is also sponsored by Universal Furniture. Universal's new special order upholstery offering allows you to unleash your imagination like never before. With over 400 fabrics, 50 leathers, and over 200 frames to choose from, crafting your perfect piece is fun and easy. Now available, drape any frame in any fabric. Customize with six different leg finish options, plus three nail head trim choices, and enjoy 360-degree views of your creation before purchasing. Learn more at universalfurniture.com. And now, on with the show. So I imagined that we were going to jump around quite a bit in this conversation, uh, just because there are so many things that I'm that I'm eager to to discuss with you, and there are, there there are so many uh, places that I want to to go. But I, I I I thought a good place for us to at least get started is you've you've spoken in the past about how your career sort of really began when you went to work and and in many ways sort of went to school at, at Barney's in, in New York and, and worked with the, with the Pressman family. I wonder if we can talk a little bit about that, that time and, and what it was like. I started working at Barney's back in, well, officially and full time, I started in 1991. Somehow I ended up connected to the PR department there. I was working at Connoisseur, magazine of all magazines oh um, right back in remember, the day connoisseur sure <laughs> sure <laughs> but that was my first actual job in new york and i was in the production department which was great because i got to really know how the magazine worked i got to know everyone in the magazine all the editors and everybody i got to sit in tom hoving's office you know and listen to him on the phone with like henry kissinger and stuff like that which was really interesting um i was making no money i made like fifteen thousand dollars a year or something ridiculous like that so and how old were you at the time I was 22. I was okay. right out okay. of college. Right out of yeah. college, yeah. The work at Barney's, the freelance work at Barney's was um, uh, very useful uh, financially. But also, I grew up in Caracas in Venezuela. And as a kid, you know, I pretty much had uh, all the freedom that an urban kid has, you know. Uh, I could, you know, run around with my friends and go to the movies and go to anywhere I wanted and stuff. And then all of a sudden, we landed in the suburbs of Miami. Uh, and like near the Everglades, it was 
this very different existence and I really hated it. Um, and I couldn't wait to get out. And the plan was to leave the minute I finished high school. When I was 15, I went to visit a cousin of mine who lived in Union City. She was kind of like a disco queen. She took me out. She took me like to Studio 54 and to Xenon and all that stuff. I was a 15-year-old kid. <laughs> and she took me to Fiorucci and I bought stuff there. And I, and I bought these magazines while I was in New York. And I brought them back to Miami with me and I subscribed. And these magazines would come every month. And I couldn't wait until they arrived because they offered this window into this place, this, this life um, that really resonated with me. I was doing a lot of partying and I was going to New York almost every weekend uh, on something called People's Express. Um, oh, right. Yeah. I, the, the, the inexpensive airline of the day. It was, you know, an amazing thing at the time because, you know, for literally, you know, for $18, you could fly to New York for the night. And um, through all this, I was working in Boston at Parachute. I had a, a roommate in Boston who, whose boyfriend was the, the pod dealer to um, Glenn O'Brien and to like all the kids from paper and, and, you know, he had dated Madonna and, and I, you know, I arrived in New York and all of a sudden I was just thrown into exactly where, you know, five years before that I had been reading. About. Yes. Where you had once been dreaming of being, suddenly you were there. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Honestly, it's one of those things that I, I, it's, I can't explain. Um, plus I got, I got an in there and then eventually I, I left Connoisseur to go work at Mirabella magazine when it first started. And that was kind of my first sort of serious job, kind of PR related. Um, so from Mirabella, I went to work at Barney's. There was an opening in the department. It was, it was almost a step back from my job at Mirabella and I took it anyway. And I finally became part of that team, which I very much wanted to. And it was a, a moment when Barney's was at its most influential, at its biggest period of growth. Technically, it was kind of the beginning of the end. <laughs> and I got to work with Ronnie Cook, who I knew had started details, you know? <laughs> so for me, I was like working with these people that I were like my like heroes, right? I was 23 and I was the person representing the store when I went to Dallas or Seattle or wherever. And I would talk, I was a person to talk to the press. I was a person that did everything for the store in those, in those markets before we opened. So the exposure was incredible. I mean, my first week at Barney's, we were doing a project for Amphar. And I sat in a meeting with Jenny Holzer because she was making some hosiery for this project. And this was literally my first week. That's when the bug bit. And this offered this incredible opportunity to work with people like that and i loved it i loved it and it's the thing that i've loved the most and that that the one thing that i think has been most constant in my career is working with creative talented people making things so when i ended up uh, at isaac mizrahi and i was image director i sat there thinking well we need to bring in our our art direction and our, our advertising in-house because we need to do it all in here because our process needs to be all encompassing. So I did that. Take me back to Isaac Mitzrahi just so that I understand the progression. So you, you, you left Barney's and, mm-hmm. and, and how, did you, how did you end up coming to, to work with Isaac Mizrahi, who, who I gather was very sort of influential uh, for you as well? I was working with Isaac 
on an event in Los Angeles. We had opened the store in Beverly Hills, the Barney store in Beverly Hills. And one of the first events we did at the store was the premiere of Unzipped in LA. Uh, okay. And it was a big party that we did at the store. It was, I think, just a couple of months after it opened. And at this point, I was getting ready to move on. Okay. I, I did not love the work of PR at that point anymore. It, it, I, I, I was kind of done. And I it's, a, it's, a rough, it's a rough job. I mean, it you, was rough. we glamorized it a little bit at the beginning, but I mean, it's, it's, it's not an easy job. No, and, it, and think, things had started to change. You know, that world really changed in the 90s. And this was already 1995. And things were already shifting, you know, moving into a different direction. And Barney's was already having some problems. Mm. Internally, we knew of them and we could feel them. And there had been a lot of changes, which had actually led them to make me the director of the department at a very, I was 26. <laughs> and I was running the PR corporate PR Barney's. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I loved working there and I loved everything about it, but things had changed and I didn't enjoy the work as much anymore. I wanted to do something else. And Isaac offered me a job um, and I became what was at the time called image director. And I handled everything that had to do with advertising and um, marketing and um, show production, all that kind of stuff. It was a very nebulous job. Sometimes I would think of myself as just his babysitter. You know, seriously, <laughs> it was like one of those jobs that were was everything. Well, and 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 you've talked in the past about how he taught you so much about color and 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 how to sort of look at things. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, my favorite thing in the world is working with someone who is highly talented and highly creative, and he certainly is that. Um, we became. Um, really good at working together. Um, I would present ideas in a way that perhaps made him think that they were his ideas. <laughs> no, I mean, I became really good at that at Barnes because, you know, I realized at an early age, the best way to get somebody to do something is to make them think that it was their idea, right? So I was prepared to, to, to work in that way with, with someone as creative as Isaac, who was really strong. Um, there was so much I wanted to learn from him. And I really just wanted to experience his process so that I could pull from it, you know, and learn from it. Colors were basically neutrals, whether it was hot pink, you know, was a neutral. And when you start looking and considering hot pink as a neutral and you realize that it is a neutral, actually, because any color goes with it. When you realize that you're like, <laughs> you become kind of fearless about color. And, and that's something that I owe him because I, I did become, with time, fearless about color really because of him, because of his introduction to it uh, and the way he himself utilized it. Um, so that was one of the things. And, and the other, uh, really, he just, he really allowed me to exercise um, a lot of what I learned at Barney's in terms of process, in terms of production, uh, putting things together. <laughs> the, um, the opportunity to pull together teams to make things and create things for him 
um, was just a continuation of what I was doing at Barney's. Yeah. So through him, I threw myself in all kinds of things, including licensing. And, you know, at the time he had done this deal with, um, in Korea and in Singapore and in Japan. And so I started traveling to these places and started traveling to Japan in, in the nineties. And that, like everything else in my life, you know, got me ready for things to come that I had no idea were coming. So. You, you were you were just about to say before you the, so you make this, this this sort of fascinating leap from this world of of fashion which you suggested you sort of grew a, a little tired of and and suddenly uh, make this this leap into the highly lucrative world of of book publishing yeah i'm wondering i'm wondering about money yes well i can't imagine that it was <laughs> so i i'm curious about the transition and and how that came about well listen you know things happen for a reason and so it became very apparent to me that i was gonna have to get a job at some point something was gonna have to happen and lo and behold you know, Stephen Johanneknecht, who had moved to San Francisco to work for The Gap, decided he wanted to move to LA. And he really didn't know what he wanted to do, but he thought maybe he would do some interior design. And I had a friend that needed help with a little store he was going to open. And I was like, oh, maybe Stephen can do it. And then I had another friend who was thinking about leaving production design to become a designer. I was like, oh, you guys should meet. And out of that, Commune was created because so that group came together yeah and, and formed commune yeah right okay yeah it was four friends and well and, and and how did we arrive at at the name commune and and tell me what the thinking was there well the commune really came out of the idea of community and it had a little bit to do also with the bauhaus and this idea of having no hierarchy between all the different aspects of design there was never going to be um, a hierarchy between architecture and graphic design for example depending on the project we would give these these different um, things the same amount of attention and importance so that really came from the Bauhaus and this idea of community really came from wanting to work with and create a community of people we could collaborate with and work with. Well, and I, I and I want to talk about who you are today and sort of everything that you're working on today. But I, I want to understand along the way what became of the the original four, sure. and sort of how that evolved. And I know there was some separation that took place. Yeah, no. After the after the financial crisis, we all kind of came back together and really felt like we were on the same page as to who we wanted to become, who we wanted to be. Um, but with time, that shifted again. And just like any marriage, perhaps people change while they're together. And Pam and Ramin really wanted to do something else. They wanted to structure the business differently from Stephen and I. And they wanted to really focus on different things than Stephen and I did. And it became a struggle um, because Stephen and I really wanted to maintain our way of working, um, which was um, a really open studio with no sort of specialization in it, no silos. 
we wanted it to be truly open in that people worked on everything. Um, and we wanted to work on all types of projects. We very much wanted to continue to do the work of um, making products and um, partnering and creating these um, partnerships um, with, with manufacturers. And um, the idea was really what we had initially intended, which was to create a, a lifestyle brand. You know, Commune, the logo, when, when we gave direction to Doug in order to create it for us, we told him, you know, we wanted to live well on the bottom of a cup. We always intended it to be... <laughs> that was so important. Well, yeah, I mean, we always intended it to be something that would be a label, right? And to, for me, like, I never imagined I'd be doing what I'm doing today. But back then, there was no way that I was going to become an interior designer. Like, I, when I thought about it, it was like, I'll have a design company. I'll run a design company. I'll do all the things that that entails and involves. But I never thought it would be an interior designer, and I still don't think I am. You know what I mean? I, 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 I will work as an interior designer on projects that require me to do so, but I'm, I don't see myself as that. That's a, hat, that's a hat that you put on and take off. And- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, our partners really wanted to create an interior design studio. They wanted right. to have an interior design firm. And Stephen and I wanted something different. And so we parted ways. They went to do what they needed to do. And we decided to keep Commune because there was a choice that we had, we could make. I mean, we could either keep it, you know, buy it, really. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we had to yeah. actually, you know, acquire it or we could start something new. We're taking a quick break from the show to hear more about Universal Furniture. Universal's new special-order upholstery offering is Benchmade in North Carolina. With over 400 fabrics, 50 leathers, and over 200 frames to choose from, crafting your perfect piece is fun and easy. Now available, drape any frame in any fabric. Customize with six different leg finish options, plus three nail head trim choices, and enjoy 360-degree views of your creation before purchasing. Learn more at universalfurniture.com. And now, back to the show. So, after the separation from the other two partners, you were you and Stephen were able to create the model of the multidisciplinary firm that you had always envisioned, as yeah. you were saying, pulling people from from anywhere that 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 could do a project and and engaging them in that and and recognizing that everyone did lots of different things, and that's what you liked about the kind of firm that you wanted to run right yes uh, we we had an opportunity all of a sudden to to really look at it again and um reimagine it um it was really an opportunity to kind of go back to the beginning and really see where where our hearts were and what we wanted in the in the end. Um, so it was it was really great because we were both really well aligned from the start. Um, Stephen and I have always seen things eye to eye, so it was really easy that way to make decisions. So all of a sudden, it became very easy to make decisions. And so we, we, we started by just um, really opening up the studio and not having any 
any teams anymore or, or hierarchies anymore. And, and how did that go over with the team? How did people, I mean, were there some people that were very happy in their silos and very happy with their hierarchy? I mean, you know, how- it all worked out. <laughs> okay. These things tend to take care of themselves. And this team, team is solid. And I really, I love that because it, it just means that it's working, you know, that they, they like what they're doing and how they're doing it. Help me understand and, and help listeners understand the projects that Commune is working on today, just so that people get a, a sense of sort of the broad scope of all of the different things that you might be working on at any one time. I know you're, I know you're busy right now. So, yeah. so h- how much, <laughs> thank goodness, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, how much of this is, is residential interior design? You mentioned that's a, that's a big part of the business. How much is the graphics and the communications yeah. and sort of, tell me, tell me the whole mix so that I understand. Well, it's always about the mix. The mix is super important, but we don't really create the mix. We tend to respond to the mix, right? Because those are forces beyond us, beyond our control. And that's where where remaining very nimble is really important. And so um, the, the mix kind of shifts as the environment shifts. But currently, and as of the last... 10 months, um, <laughs> our mix is about, um, I would say about 70% residential and about 20% hospitality and about 10% retail. Okay. There's still a little bit of both of those because we have projects that are going on that are, have continued, thank God. But the residential has really become the big driver. Because of what's going on. We've signed on a bunch of residential projects in the last six months. Um, and we're really grateful for that. But that may shift again because, you know, last year it was more like 50 50. It was more like 50% um, residential and about 40% hospitality and about 10% retail because the retail has always continued. We've always, we always do retail, you know. It, it was fashion a while ago, and then more recently, it was like cannabis. You know what I mean? It, it, it'll change. I, I was curious about that. I mean, all joking aside, I mean, I know, I know that that's a, that's a big industry, and I wondered if you were sort of working in that area. Yeah, no, we did uh, a project for um, Sarah, uh, which is a cannabis brand. Uh, we did a very high-end um, shop for them here in L.A., um, and that was one one cannabis project um that that we worked on but um so that is an industry that's sort of starting so there's always and was that sort of like a branding or that was their retail shop that they wanted to have retail Uh design yeah we created the retail uh concept and opened a flagship here in la so um so yeah there's always this mix but also in terms of size there's always a mix so We'll do, we just did a 400 square foot off the grid cabin in a national park, but I'm also working on a 15,000 square foot house up in Atherton. And there's everything in between that. You know, there are a couple of compounds, a ranch, uh, you know, uh, there's a couple of beach houses. There are a couple of, of uh, primary residences. Um, so there's always a mix within each of these. Okay. 
I, okay, so so it's mostly you're mostly a design firm, and and there there are always some element of all of these other kinds of projects that are somehow flowing through the, the, the pipeline internally. I, I know you told me last time we spoke you were working on eyeglasses, and yeah, so that's a whole other side of it. <laughs> and, and and if we if we were to break it down in percentiles, including the product design, mm. I suppose that maybe, you know, 20 to 30% of our business um, or of our time mm. goes into that. Okay. Because it's not really, I guess it is kind of a business. I'm a horrible businessman in that way. Because <laughs> I, I, I feel like you, we... Like, you are clearly on top of all of this. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> what we want is for to have the ability to do what we want to do when we want to do it, the way we want to do it. And that costs money, obviously. So we invest in that. We invest in the ability to do that because, you know, that's what's important. Well, so so to that point, help me understand then what becomes the profit center for Commune that you have to focus on, obviously, and, and maintain in order to be able to do whether it's the eyeglasses project or, or some of the other perhaps less remunerative projects that you might just want to do to sort of stretch yourself creatively and, and intellectually. So, so help me understand the cold, hard money side of the operation. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, 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 the money comes from fees, you know, that really is what fuels the firm is our, our service fees. And, um, our markups because we work okay. on, we have both, you know, depending on the project, uh, we have um, uh, our design fees as well as markups. And um, that is what keeps the company running, obviously. That is the bread and butter. The other thing I'm wondering about with a, with a multidisciplinary firm is sort of how, how other types of work comes to you, so from the whether the product side or or the the retail and packaging side, I mean, there are all these other firms that do that kind of work. What makes someone want to work with with communes? Well, you're right in 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 that now there are a lot of firms that I mean, for a while there weren't, and mm. you know, we we kind of were unique in the multidisciplinary, you know, uh, sort of. Um, world but um now we have a lot of competition and and we compete for work uh with all types of people so we're competing with interior design firms we're competing with graphic design firms we're competing with branding um companies we're competing with marketing companies um so we always have to know how to pitch ourselves to the right person and we have to know that they are the right person or the right company in order to be able to do that. There's a lot of stuff that we say no off the bat to because it doesn't feel right. It's not right for us because we don't know how to help them. And I don't pretend that I'm going to be able to help somebody that I know we're not going to be able to help. And so when we know we can help somebody, we're incredibly transparent and forthcoming in telling them how we're going to help them. And hopefully that gets us the job. So we compete by just being as open and as forthcoming as possible with our 
our ideas of how we would arrive at a successful finale. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious even if there's an example of 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 a client that you've won recently or that's or that's wanted to work with you recently where this where this sort of explanation of your process and and the way that you like to be collaborative sort of really made a difference to to them or sort of set you apart from from others that they might have been considering. I mean, I, part of the, that's what I'm sort of curious about. We're a highly collaborative firm, and the process is really connected to that, to that aspect of it, where this open studio or internally, a lot of people collaborate and have a say and have a voice on a project, right? Um, but it's also a highly collaborative process outside of the firm. And that's something that um, a lot, the, the word collaboration is like thrown around a lot these days. And a lot of people don't understand what that is. Um, I think a lot of people think collaboration is, is a branding exercise. Like how can my brand help yours? We'll do it. You know, how many people we can, we can reach twice the number of people or twice the type of people or whatever. A lot of people see it that way, that that's the connection. It's how to sell something. We don't see it that way. To us, collaboration has a lot to do with um, a lack of ego, right? Like really coming into the into the 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 team with no ego, really being open, understanding that the project gets better the more heads and hands are on it. Really, truly believing that 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 it's really about the 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 point of view. That, that make it better. And this is something that goes back to our process from Barney's, right? Really believing in that. And so that collaborative process is not for everyone, okay? There are companies and there are clients that don't benefit because of their um, internal makeup and their own hierarchies. They are not able to work in that way. Because we need the client who is a decision maker or who is going to work it out with us. And that, that is a certain type of client. And this is whether it's a home or it's a commercial project. It doesn't matter. They both need to be willing to, to open up, work with us, and share their ideas listen to our ideas, bat things around, explore things, try things, etc. Well, so, and and how do you, I, I mean, what, what you were just describing is so often when I would ask people to, to tell me what it is about a commune project that is so distinctive or or that that sort of draws you in in the way that your projects do. Is it is it the layers? Is it the is it the feeling that, as you were saying, it's you it you're really feeling the 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 presence of somebody's sort of life force in that in that space? I mean, help me understand that better. What you're feeling is personality in the broadest sense, right? Whether it's the personality of a person or a family or a brand, but you're feeling it through a lot of different cues. It's not just the visual. You're feeling it because the 
finishes you're touching are a certain way because that's part of their personality, whatever that is. You're, because it smells a certain way, because it sounds a certain way. Um, because we're, we're looking at it from so many angles. We're really thinking about how to bring out all those elements. So if I'm by the seaside and the person that I'm working with really loves the sound of the sea, that becomes part of the design brief. How do you bring the sound of the sea into it so that you best experience the sound of the sea, right? So all those elements become part of the design brief. It's not just the carpet and the fabrics and the paint color. It's how are we going to get the ocean to be sound beautiful in here, right? So all those dreams, all those needs, all those wants that a client might propose or bring up, it is our job to do our best to kind of bring them into their life. And it, what you get in the end is all those things that they, that they love. And it becomes really, a, it becomes their part of their, their life, their personality. Um, and I think that that's what a lot of people feel. Um, never mind that there are other threads. You know, there are threads that come through our, our work. There's the handcrafted, of course. But that is very intentional because the handcrafted, has a certain amount of, of soul and personality in itself. You're bringing in somebody's work done by their hands. You, so you're introducing that person into somebody's life. It's like bringing somebody over for dinner. You know, they leave an impression, and that impression is lasting because you live with that. You know, you live with that thing that they made, and it's part of your life now. So that's absolutely a thread. Then there's the natural finishes. Again, that is important because it's part of that multisensory layered experience, right? The, the, the finishes that age naturally will change with time. They'll get better. They'll get better with age just like you will, Okay. And that become and they become part of a life. They become part of your life. And so again, that's something else you're feeling. It's another layer. And so all these things kind of stack up. And we're not analyzing each one every time. At this point, they really just become part of the way we look at things. And so, you know, people will say, like, oh, you really like, you know. Uh, you really like wood. It's like, well, yeah, but it also serves a certain purpose. And, and, and when we are going through the process of choosing those woods, it's a, it is a process to make sure that the wood that this client is going to live with, they feel so completely um, sort of ident they identify so much with it that it becomes part of their world, their life. They, they, they will love it. They will never want to get rid of it. It'll be part of their lives. We're taking a quick break from the show to hear about Cherish. Are you a designer struggling with long lead times from your suppliers and increasingly impatient clients? If so, now's the time to shop Cherish. 
cherishes vintage, antique inventory, is ready to ship immediately. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com. And now, back to the show. Going back to the discussion around culture and going back to your non-hierarchical firm and, and sort of thinking about and better understanding how people work within that kind of a framework. And you were starting to describe earlier the the many sort of operational people that you need to have in addition to all of the designers to, I'm assuming, keep those projects moving along and get things out the door. And and I I'm curious as to how that part of the process works. And and also this as we were talking about earlier in the beginning when you came to the team, the much larger team at the time, and said, listen, we're going to make these changes and we're going to do away with all these fancy titles or, or whatever else went in around these these silos. Uh, and, and not everybody wanted to continue to work in that in that structure. So I'm I'm curious how you've how you've sort of gotten it all to work now. The changes happened um, incrementally. It didn't all happen at once because we were really wanted to test things out bit by bit. We wanted to be careful because um, Stephen and I both loved Commune and we didn't want to just, you know, we didn't want to destroy it in the process. So we, wa- we, we started making changes little by little and trying things out and, and really talking to the staff about things and being very transparent about the changes we wanted to make, having a dialogue about it. It's their life. It's their job. They should be part of the decisions being made. And so we opened up the floor and we're very transparent about what our, we wanted to do. And you know, some people were receptive, some people were less receptive, some people were curious. Everybody sort of dealt with it in their own way. And naturally, some people decided to leave and go do something else. Um, and in the process, we were able to then bring in some key hires to complete sort of the team in a different way. And, and it, it's like shaping it. You, you very carefully very slowly shaping it into what you want it to eventually become, right? And so we had a good four years of doing that um, to bring us to where we are now. Well, I mean, I, I think that so often, I, I mean, Fred, our, our producer and I were sort of joking before the show, so often when we bring up Commune, pe- people want to come work for Commune. Right. They, oh, they think, oh, that's such a cool shop and, and they're, the work they're doing is so interesting and their, their culture is so interesting. Part of what I want to understand is, you know, what, what's making everyone think that and, and what, what sort of made you this, this hot shop? And, and also, I mean, sort of in, in wrapping all of this up, I, here, here you are primarily thought of as a as an interior design firm which is what you sort of never intended to, <laughs> to do the entire time you've been at this and yet w- when one mentions commune one thinks of oh they're on the AD100 or they're on some top designer list and so i, I want to understand better even for yourself how you how you sort of think about that today i feel like commune um is primarily a design firm 
we do design a lot of different things. So whether it's interiors or packaging, that will always be the case. Interiors, packaging, product, um, all different kinds of interiors. It is a design firm. And perhaps to make it broaden it even more, it might be a design company, right? In that the product we make is not only going into our own projects, but we are also designing things that go elsewhere. Um, so ultimately that is what it is, right? And interior design is a big part of it because um, in the end, all of the things that we do go into that container. So the product, even the graphic identities will go into that same container, which is interior design, whether it's for a hotel or a home. It's the same thing, right? So, yes, we are interior designers, <laughs> but there are other things we also do. We're just working the way we like to work on the things we want to work on, doing our thing, and it manifests itself in a way that speaks to certain people in a deep way. And I'm very thankful for that. I'm very grateful that it, it, it will speak to people on that level because after all these years and all these things I've done, right? <laughs> I'm not interested in speaking to someone on a very superficial level with just visuals. At this point, I'm more interested in really how somebody feels about something we do than what they think about the way it looks. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. I want people to, um, to experience it and feel it and, 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 and feel good in it. Um, I'm not, I'm not so concerned about um, just the visual. Well, and, and that, uh, that, that is what, what your work, does I mean it? It, it does evoke a, a, an emotional response in in so many people, and and so many people that I that I spoke to about you and your work sort of point to that to that same thing, uh, and and so it's that's great to hear, Dennis. I mean, <laughs> I feel uh, you know it, it, because I don't I don't know that we set out to to do that. It's just we're just again we're just doing what we do. And we love, and you know, we really enjoy it. I really love it. I've, I've always had an interest in how people live. Um, that's always something I've always, when I walk, when I walk into somebody's house, I really have always, even as a child, looked at the details of that person's life and taken that with me and learned from it. And so it's something I've always been very curious about. Um, and so for me at this point, it's, it's, it's a very interesting sort of turn of events because I'm here, you know, manufacturing these <laughs> things for people. Um, and, and, and so I take it very seriously. I mean, I don't want to sound like, you know, whatever, you know, kind of, <laughs> you know, like uh, self-important in any way, but I do feel like we're doing important work. Because we're, we're helping people kind of create their, their, 
their living spaces. And they spend, especially now, like they spend so much time um, in those spaces. Absolutely. Um, they're extensions of who you are. They really speak volumes about the person you are. Um, it impacts so many things. It impacts, you know, family life. It impacts the environment. It impacts, you know, society. It impacts. And so, um, there have, there's, there, there's a responsibility, I think, that we carry in our business to do it right, but not just right for the client, but sort of right for everyone that's involved. And that's your staff, that's the maker, that's, you know, the client, of course, everyone who's involved, you need their support, you need their brains, you need their hands, and then you need them to, I think, be happy with the work they're doing. I truly believe that that's infused into the project itself. And um, I think it shows when people enjoy working on their homes, you know? I feel like absolutely and and yes and I and I think and I think that you've I think that you've been so fortunate to to have this career of of doing work that you still enjoy doing so much and and that you still feel so good about after after all of these these years Uh, I I think that's a I think that's a gift and uh, and and I think that you're that you're very fortunate in that in that respect. I'm very conscious of that, Dennis, and, and I'm very grateful. Yeah, I, I feel very lucky that way. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting trip. <laughs> it's wow. it's really been it's been an interesting journey, and uh, wow. and and who knew that that commune, the house that Barney's built, I, I you know I couldn't have right. I you mean, know, when I think about it, that. it's one of those things, <laughs> um, and and it takes a, it, it you know it's it's taken a long time. For Stephen and I, really, we've looked at it this way only now, you know, through the process of doing the book in particular, um, this book in, in particular, because we really started looking back and in the process of reorganizing the studio, we really started thinking about that more and about that period and about what it meant to us personally and professionally. And, you know, uh, we are happy to give credit to that period of, of our lives because it really did shape us. And all those people that were involved um, had a hand in it. And they did throughout. We just didn't see it. But now we recognize, like, wow. I mean, it's funny. Mayor Russ, who, you know, was kind enough to work on this book with us, like, we've known him since then as well. You know, since we're at Barney's and Matt, the same. So it's these people that come from our, from our, like we, we, we collected uh, this community of people through the past 30 years and it all adds up to this, this community that we have now. Um, and in retrospect, it's an amazing thing how we have, how they had so, so much of a hand in it, how much they, they were involved in it throughout the years. Um, and it's the result of really, you know, all their, their influence and, um, yeah. Well, and, 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 
and and it speaks so much to to maintaining those relationships over all those years and and that is is not an easy thing to to do particularly with that mayor russ he can be such a hothead <laughs> at, right so, i mean the ups the downs i mean i know personally so uh, but uh but but it but it is a, it is a testament to to the to the relationships that you've maintained and and a lesson of how you never know where those relationships and those experiences are are going Going to take you, and yeah. and you see that in in everything that you've that you've built uh, over the years. Uh, thank you, thank you so. Oh, you're much. welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to keep up with the latest industry news, browse job postings, or check out the latest product, visit us online at businessofhome.com. If you have a note for the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at businessofhome.com. This show was produced by Fred Nicolaus and edited by Albert Burge for Podfly. I'm Dennis Scully. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>